back to the supernatural, which I started off, we still have one more class on the supernatural about uh, black magic and, uh, and the like, and angels and demons. So we'll deal with that next time. But tonight, since we are, this week and next week, we're going to deal with the question of God changing his mind. This week we're going to talk about it in a, in a more general context and uh, see how it plays itself out in the Torah. And next week we'll deal, deal with the mitzvah of Teshuvah. Because Teshuvah repentance theoretically flies in the face of this whole concept where you have uh, individuals who are um, bad or have uh, misbehaved in a certain way and a certain decrees have been put out against them. And yet Hashem, so to speak, changes his mind. We're going to see this explicitly on um, on Yom Kippur, on the afternoon reading on Yom Kippur, where we have the idea of um, uh, the city of Nineveh, the book of Jonah, where Jonah is sent to go speak to the city of Nineveh, people of Nineveh, and it says that in, in 40 days the Nineveh will be overturned and everybody does tshuva and Hashem recants. And so that's what we're going to talk about. All right, that's next week. But this week we are dealing with this uh, thorny issue, which automatically, if you were to say, does God change his mind? So the answer would be absolutely not. You know, God knows everything. He's omniscient. And uh, and therefore, God knows what's going to happen before it happens. So God would never change his mind. If God makes a decision, that's the decision uh, and the like. The problem with that thesis is that the Torah consistently, uh, you know, gives uh, either the illusion or seemingly says explicitly um, that Hashem does change his mind. And that you don't need to go very far in the Torah to see this, that really at the end of Pasha Bereshit, so we really, we write right at the beginning of the Torah. Uh, so you have Adam and Eve, and that doesn't go so well. And you have Cain and Abel, and that doesn't go so well. And right towards the end of the Pasha, you already have this verse that you see over here. This is my Bar Mitzvah parasha. So it's one of the few verses that as a kid I actually knew of by heart. I didn't have a clue what it meant. But this is what it said. And God saw that the wickedness of man was prolific in the earth. And he just, the desires of his heart, he would just do wickedness all day long. And Hashem Yinachem. So the way this is understood and translated in the vast majority of uh, Chumashim is, and Hashem regretted the fact that He had created man on earth. He is very distressed by it. And it says, uh, and, he, and He wants to destroy the people. And that's what's going to happen in the next story, which is Noah and the flood. So this concept, Yinachem, is understood pretty much, uh, if you understand it on the simple reading of it, is referring to somebody who regrets or recants and, and has remorse over doing something. So Hashem creates the world. Tells them and Eve not to do, eat from the garden. They eat from the garden. All right, so that doesn't go so well. Cain and Abel, well, there was no command not to kill, so perhaps you could get their way with it. But by the end of, the, of Breshit, you, uh, you see that God is like remorseful and he, and he goes in the next week's post, you're going to say, that's it, I've had enough. I can't handle these people. I'm going to destroy the entire world and I'm going to bring this flood. And that's the story of Noah. Now, if Hashem knew that this was going to go pear-shaped, so why did Hashem, like, what, what changed? God knew that it was going to be really bad. So what changed? You know, that God uh, created man and, oh, by the way, man's bad. And interesting, you're going to see after the flood that when God makes the... Um, the rainbow is as a covenant between um, between him and humanity. It says because Adam ki nefesh Adam that the soul of man is wicked from his youth, 
And so I, I should destroy the world, but I won't destroy the world. And that's the message of the rainbow. But here we have seemingly a case where Hashem created the world and recanted and regretted it. Now that's uh, point number one. Point number two, which uh, may be a bit more familiar to us, and that is after the golden calf. So Moshe, so the go- Moshe comes down from the mountain and he sees the golden calf and he smashes the tablets and then he goes up to Hashem. And Hashem says, you know, let me go and let me destroy all these people. And Moshe says, no, you can't destroy them. The people in Egypt will say that you just took them out to get, kill them in the mountains. You shouldn't do that. And then the famous Pasuk, which comes and says, And Hashem, the same word again, Hashem regarding the wickedness that he said he would do to the people. So how do you understand that word? <coughs> so he was going to destroy the people. He told Moshe he was going to destroy the people. Uh, Moshe says, please don't destroy the people. It's not good for the, it's just not good. It's not good PR for you, God. Please don't destroy the people. And, there, and what does Hashem do? So what does that mean? So clearly it means that Hashem either regrets or changes his mind or was going to do something. So, so that's two of the sources. Which both seem to suggest this. Now, this is not the only time we see later. Um, I didn't bring this source, but when the first king of Israel is King Shaul, and King Shaul is given a uh, King Saul, and he's uh, you know he's given a mission to go wipe out the tribe of Amalek, and he goes to Amalek and he doesn't do what he's supposed to do, and when he comes back and and so he comes back and he t- he's supposed to wipe them out and he's supposed to not take any booty from the camp and he he pillages and he takes all the uh, the cattle. And uh, Hashem comes to Shmuel, the prophet, and says to him, I'm Yinachem, I'm Menachem, I regret appointing Shaul as the king. So this, this, this term comes up time and time again, that God makes a decision and then uh, like, regrets it. So how are we to understand that? Now, in, in Sefer Bamidbal, in the book of uh, Numbers, regarding the story of... Um, of Bil'am. So Bil'am was a non-Jewish prophet who was hired by the king Balak to go and curse B'nai Israel. So the story goes as follows. So Balak is the king of Moab. He's very scared. These Israelites are rampaging through all the diff- lo- local nations. And he's very scared. And he realizes by conventional uh, military means he's not going to be able to defeat the, the Israelites. So he, he, he uh, hires a non-Jewish prophet that he hopes will curse B'nai Israel. And that curse will somehow allow him the ability to defeat them in war where otherwise he would not be able to. Fantastic. So he calls Bilam. And Bilam, initially Hashem, he says, all right, uh, let me see what I can do. So he speaks to Hashem. Hashem says, you're not allowed to curse them. They bless people. Fine. Then the next, they say, he goes back to Balak and says, can't help you. So Balak sends more people. Eventually Hashem says, all right, go with, but you're not going to be able to praise. You're not going to be able to curse them unless I allow you to. So when Bilam goes with Balak, he goes and he sees the Israelite camps in, in, let's say encamped on the valley. And Bilam goes to multiple different points around B'nai Israel and, and wants to try curse them. But every time he tries to curse them, a, a blessing comes out of his mouth. So Balak, who's like, you know, said, listen, I hired you to curse these people. What are you doing blessing them? So this is uh, after, I can't remember, the second or third time they tries to do it. So this is the words. It says, The Lord manifests itself to Bilam and put the word in his mouth saying, Return to Balak and speak thus. So Hashem puts in the mouth of Bilam the following and said, 
He went to him and found him standing beside his offerings and the Moabite dignitaries with him. So Balak is standing there. He's made all these sacrifices to God, hoping that one of them will be good enough to allow him to curse B'nai Israel. And Balak asked, and what did God say? And he took up his theme and said, Up, Balak, attend here unto me, son of Sippor. So, so Bilam says, this is what God said. Listen to me. God is not man to be impulsive or mortal to change his mind. So I've, I've, I put the Hebrew here. Lo ish God is not a man that is deceitful that is says impulsive. So or is he a person that is So what is Vitnachem? He's not a person who changes his mind. You can't say when God says something, that's what it is. There's no change in the mind. So <coughs> on the one hand, Philosophically speaking, we sort of stand back and we say, God doesn't change his mind. All right, fantastic. God doesn't change his mind. But you have two stories or three stories if you include Shaul. You've got three stories where it says God created man and then wants to destroy him with the flood. God wants to destroy B'nai Israel after the golden calf and changes his mind and doesn't destroy them. And then he appoints King Saul as the king and regrets having appointed King Saul. So those are three areas where Hashem clearly has some element of regret. And then over here with regards to Bilam, he comes and says the opposite is that God, God, God never changes his mind. So which is it? Does God change his mind? Who doesn't change his mind? And the same word is the word that's been used in all four occasions. This word, V'yinachem. So, so what we're going to have to do is try and understand is either God does change his mind, which philosophically is going to be very difficult. As we said, God is omniscient. God knows what's going to happen. So if God doesn't change his mind, what is going to necessitate, and this is where all the commentaries are going to do it, and what we're going to do for the rest of the year is just look at how the commentators do it. But is understand, what does this word V'yinachem mean? It clearly means to seemingly to, to change. Because God is not like man who's V'yinachem. God, V'yinachem, that he had created man. God was V'yinachem and didn't destroy B'nai Israel. So what is this word V'yinachem? So if you just think about it for a second, you know, what other verb could you put in there that would make sense in all four of those different cases? So we are going to go through a number of the different commentaries to try and understand exactly what it means when it says that God was V'yinachem. So starting off, we're going to go with Rashi. As soon as I get my little thing. Okay. So what is Rashi? So this is back on our original uh, verse that God was V'yinachem, that he had created man. So what does it mean, V'yinachem? Now there is a, this verb, V'yinachem, um, is there are a few words for regret in Hebrew. The one that we usually use is mitcharet. Uh, Charata means remorse or regret. Um, so that is the one we usually use. But vinachem as well. But the word vinachem also has another word. So if you're familiar with the name menachem, or when you go visit, you go pay a shiva call, you do nichum avelim. So that's the way Rashi is going to say it. He says that the root here doesn't mean to regret, but rather to console. So when it says Hashem, um, Hashem, that he created man, so look what he says, Nechama ha'eta, let me get my little pen here, Nechama ha'eta lefanav, shibaro batachtonim. There was some level of consolation for Hashem that he created man batachtonim. What does that mean, batachtonim? He created him, Takhton means bottom, but meaning on ma- on land. That man, a free choice being, wasn't a spiritual free choice being. It was a physical 
free choice being. She'ilu ayamin elyonim hayamam ridam. Said, had he been a heavenly being, meaning had God given the, let's say, the angels free choice in the way that he gave man free choice, then he would have, there would have been a terrible rebellion up in Shemaim. So, so God looked at man that he'd become so wicked. And let's put it this way. This, this is the uh, rabbinic equivalent of every cloud has a silver lining. So it looks pretty bad, but it's not as bad as you would think. So God had some consolation that when he created, you know, this man who was rebelling, that it wasn't the fact that he hadn't created um, uh, spiritual beings that had been um, rebelling. Okay, so it works. Um, I don't know if it works in all the cases, um, but it definitely that's the way Rashi wants to understand it over here. The Eben Ezra, so the Eben Ezra, just from a timing point of view, is around the same time as Rashi. He was a, a Rebbe of the Rambam. He is from Spain, if I'm not mistaken. Spain or Morocco, I think Spain. So he is one of the more controversial of the uh, early commentators because he's not too scared to say things that for us might sound a bit heretical. But look how he explains this out. What does it mean? says, so he says, hold on. But we know, and now this is the verse that we had from Bamidbar. God is not a man who has remorse. That's what we said with Bilam and Balak. So what does it mean here? Yeah? Now this is a concept that comes throughout the Torah and throughout the Talmud. That sometimes the Torah is written in a way that makes sense to us. Meaning, for example, um, I'll give you, uh, when we say God is angry, you know, God got angry with Bnei Israel. So did God really get angry? Did God like, you know, he got heart palpitations and he's, he's felt steam coming out of his ears? This is obviously not. God does not have emotions in the way that we have emotions. You cannot anger God. So what does it mean God got angry? So one of the explanations is it speaks in our language. So like if we do something wrong and God punishes us, so it's a sign that God was angry. Why? Because if someone did something wrong and I punish them, it would be out of my anger. So when the Torah writes emotions regarding God, it is not that God has those emotions. God doesn't get happy. God doesn't get sad. But it's written in the language of man, meaning that we understand that God created man and now he's going to destroy man. So uh, what happened? He had remorse. Uh, but God doesn't have remorse. I know, but we would understand it as remorse. So it's trying to, uh, I don't know if the word is anthropomorphize in this way, to try and make God human. But it is tried to give the godly characteristics a human feel that will make it understandable for us. And that's the same with all the emotions of the Torah. <coughs> the anger, the, the, um, and God uh, heard or God saw, um, and the hand of God and the arm of God and all these things. That, that, these are all metaphors written in such a way that we can understand them. So when God heard our cries, so what does it mean God heard our cries? God doesn't have an ear, doesn't have an eardrum. So what does it mean God heard our cries? Is that, it's, that's how we appreciate it. When you cry out, someone hears it and that's the same way. So that's the Ebenezer's way. And so all of these things, when it says that God says, I have regret, I have remorse or whatever. So that means that he doesn't have remorse, but that's how we would understand it. That this was part of the plan that a man was going to be wicked. And the part of the plan was that the wickedness of man would cause his destruction. And we look at it because that wasn't part of the plan. That is as if his Hashem had remorse. Okay, so that's the second approach. So the first approach is that it's got to do with consolation. The second approach is that it has got to do with um, 
with uh, writing in our own language. Um, so the the next approach is sorry, don't know what happened there. Is the Ktava Kabbalah? So this was, if I'm not mistaken, the Rav in uh, Prague. If I'm not mistaken, Rav um, not Kenigsberg, but I forgot his name off the top of my head. But um, the Ktava Kabbalah is also one of the uh, older. You know, I think we're talking 1700s now, and he explained as follows. What does it mean that Hashem v'yinachem? So he says the word v'yinachem. So when we say we go do nichum avaylim, so that is a consolation. But so the so the Ksava Kabbalah is going to say it doesn't mean consolation. Like what does consolation mean? Like when you go to console the mourners, what does that mean? You make them feel the better. You make them like so it says it means v'yirachem Hashem that Hashem had mercy. So when it says Hashem had v'yinachem Hashem alara v'yinachem Hashem ki asa eradam that Hashem was v'yinachem that He created man. What does it mean? Kolomal He irich apo. Uh, he, 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 spread it. He, he didn't do it immediately. It wasn't that man rebelled and then boom, you know, here comes a flood. He says that he waited a significant period of time from the time that God felt about the fact that man had gone wicked to the, the first drops of rain falling for the flood was 120 years. I mean, God uh, had patience. So that when it says, that Hashem had Rachmonis. So it's not at all that uh, Hashem changed his mind. It's that Hashem extended time. So it works well with B'nai Yisrael as well. That Hashem extended, Hashem, that Hashem um, extended mercy upon us and not destroying us after the golden calf. It's great. I don't know how it works with, with Shaul. But this idea that, um, <coughs> that, um, that Hashem has mercy on us, that's what I mean. So we've seen three different approaches. That all of them are trying to say that what it definitely doesn't mean is that God changed his mind. God's mind doesn't change. So either it means that God uh, had some consolation that man was physical. Or it means that it was written in a way that we could appreciate it. Or as the Kabbalah says, is that the word doesn't mean to regret. It means to, uh, to actually have mercy. It's the, almost the opposite of it. Now, the last approach that I want to bring is by Rav Yosef Pechoshur. Now, we are talking about someone who's from the Baletosvot. Now, unfortunately, I, I could not find an English translation for this, but I thought it was quite profound. So I, I know it might look a little bit daunting over there, but it is a really phenomenal idea. So I hope you, um, hope you stay with me because I think it is quite profound. All right, so it starts off as follows. I'm going to get my little pen here so that you can follow. Uh, where's my pen? There. Okay. So the verse in the Torah says, I have, uh, he, and he, I regretted that I created them. And so with regards to King Saul, that I regret that I've appointed King Saul as the king because he has uh, rebelled against me. Okay, so those are the two of the sources that you see. And similarly, and, uh, and Hashem uh, change his mind or uh, change what he wants to do regarding the golden calf. So those are three of the sources you've seen. And it's difficult, all of these, because So it quotes our verse now in Bamidbar. It says, I don't understand. We've got three verses in, in Tanakh that say that God changed his mind. But you've got a verse in Bamidbar that says that God can't change his mind. So does God change his mind or doesn't change his mind? What's going on here? So it says as follows. 
you really need to understand the following. There are three different cases or three different ways where this concept of nechama, and this doesn't mean consolation, this means change, remorse, regret. There are three different categories or, or, or situations where this term nechama comes to mean changing. So sometimes, so this is the first case, sometimes a person wants, he has made a pledge, he's made a neder, noder lechavero lasot lotovara. So he said, I'm going to do something good for you, or I'm going to do something bad. And he regrets it. And he regrets saying that he was going to do something. I said I'd help you move your house, and I regret that I offered it. Or I said I'm going to <coughs> do something bad to you, and I regret that I did that. So the Omed, so he regrets it, and he doesn't keep his word. So even though he can do it, meaning, I could, so I could come help you with your, uh, your moving, but I don't want to do it, or it's not, it doesn't suit me. So that's one kind of yinachem. So that's like uh, something that is kozev, so we used it as, um, I think, um, I can't remember how we translated that term, um, with a, that God is not kozev, I think we said he's impulsive. So, um, so that's the first kind. You make promises and you don't fulfill them, even though you could fulfill them, you just don't. So this is most of our promises, dare I say. Now, the second category is a guy who thought he could help, but actually can't help. He doesn't have the ability to help. And his mitnachem, he has remorse, that is beyond his ability to help. It's, it's, it's beyond his ability to help. So regarding those two kinds of regret remorse, that is the first part of the Pasuk from Bilam, that man, that God is not like man, that is uh, impulsive or impetuous or, or the like. Okay, so it's not like that. So those are the two cases where man promises and doesn't deliver either because he doesn't want to or because he is not able to. Rather, God is not like man. God keeps his word. Okay, Sorry, I've just lost my place here. Man does Yinachem. Why? Because he's, uh, he can't, he can't keep his words. But man, but God, who call you? God is all capable. God can always uh, keep his words. So that idea of what we would call regret remorse, that, that never applies to God. So, because Balak asked Bilam to curse, that he should curse Bnei Israel. God has promised to bless the people. You can't just shift and say, well, now I feel like cursing them. He says, God doesn't do that. That God's not going to stand by his word. All of God's words are true. And man is the one who changes. So because man is no longer able to feel it, able to fulfill it, and... Um, 
and Hashem does not have those limitations. So God does not have that. Now, here's the third category, and this is the one that's going to be the Chiddush. But there's a third kind of Nechama. This is not got to do with the person who is making the promise. But this has got to do with the one to whom the promise is being made. Okay? So if I say, I will help you move your house. So the first two is I'm either too lazy or, or I've, I just, um, I, I'm not able to. It's beyond my call. But the third kind of nechama comes not from me but from you. Kagom. So if, for example, if God says he's going to, um, to some nation or kingdom, he's going to do something, he's going to punish him, he's going to do something bad to them. Like the case in the city of Nineveh that is with regards to the book of Jonah. So when God says he's going to destroy them, what does he mean? He says, God says, I'm going to destroy Bnei Yisrael after the golden calf. So what does it mean he's going to destroy? It means if the current status quo stays as it is, then I will destroy Bnei Yisrael. If Nineveh stays the way they are, then I will destroy Nineveh. But if they do, if they repent, then, then I won't get angry with them. So it's like, if you eat your, so I say, all right, um, I'll give you dessert. All right, to my kids, I'll give you dessert. And then they don't eat their food. So I was like, I'm, I'm changing my mind. I'm not giving dessert. Says, it's not the same. It's the reason you're not giving them dessert. It's not because you changed your mind. There was always a condition that they would have to eat their meal before they get dessert. They don't eat the meal, they don't get it. It's a consequence. It's not a, it's not a change of position. But always the, the, the position was the same. But the role who I met. And so God doesn't change his mind. If God says, I'm going to do something good. And the opposite. So God says, I'm going to give you a great bounty. And then these people corrupted themselves. So God's going to give them reward. No. So when God created man, what, why did he create man? He says, He created man for honor, to, to give honor to God and the like. Whatever this means, we have to talk about this at another time. And to serve, to, to, to serve God. And he quotes a verse from Yeshaya. It says, I created humanity to be able to give cover to Hashem. But let's say, if, if we accept the fact that man was created to serve Hashem, and this guy is not serving Hashem, so it's, 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 it looks like God's changed his mind. God's not changed his mind. It's just that was what, not what man was created for. Man was created, I give man lots of bracha, assuming he does what he's supposed to do. And if he doesn't do, then he gets, then he gets punished. But I don't change my mind. The mind is always the same. So that is what the means. I will change. So it's a little bit like the Ebenezer that uh, it's, from, in, it's in like our language as a if, but it's, it's not that. It's that the God plan is always exactly the same. Is that the, the, when people do good things, well, good things will happen. When people do bad, bad things will happen. But if a person goes good to bad or bad to good, it looks like God's changing his mind, but that is not what's happening at all. 
So similarly with regards to King Saul, when he appointed him as a king, this was the reason that he appointed him. So you appointed the king to fulfill the will of Hashem, should not transgress the will of Hashem. So what did Shaul do? Shaul transgressed, he didn't fulfill the mitzvah. So I'm going to make my, so it's going to, as if I've, I've, I've recanted, as if I've regretted, as if I've changed my mind. But I didn't change my mind. I appointed you to be the king and fulfill the will. So even though God definitely knew that he was going to, uh, that Shaul was going to do what he did. Because he's omniscient, everything is known to him. <laughs> he created him nonetheless. <laughs> so that they could, people could learn from them. So why did God create man? If God knew that man was going to rebel. And God was, and, and uh, as a result, the flood was going to come and destroy humanity. So why did God create? Why did God create man to begin with? It says because that would be a lesson for other people. So it's not that you know God is ever to change his mind. God's God is uh, consistent with all his decisions, and God that doesn't change his mind. But and this is the, the critical part from, uh, from the Bechor Show is saying here, which is different to what we've said earlier, is that. The divine will is always uh, consistent, but um, it's how we fit into it and how our behavior does it. So if we're doing something really good, then the divine will is going to be very benevolent. And if we do something bad, and then we change to do something bad, so it's going to look like, oh, God was so good to us yesterday, why is he not good today? He says, no, God is just consistent. You know, The people who are good get rewarded, and people who are bad don't. No, not that God changes, that we changed. And that's, that's the key of the Bohosho. It's not that God is changing, it's that the, the, the concept of remorse or this Vienna Chaim in the context of God is talking about the fact that when man changes, so the approach from Hashem changes. But it's not that it changes, it's that was always the approach from Hashem. Anyway, so those are four different um, uh, opinions trying to understand this whole concept of what it means uh, you know, Hashem, that Hashem had remorse. So clearly it's uh, firstly <coughs> that God doesn't have remorse. But what's going to come quite interesting is how this Bechor Shor, which we're going to develop a little bit more next week, we talk about the concept of Teshuvah. Because we are going to have uh, this Friday night and Saturday is going to be uh, Yom Adin, the Day of Judgment, and our deeds are going to be judged. So if we are destined to be in book A or book B, so what's going to be, you know, what's the concept of teshuva? So the whole concept of teshuva of repentance is that no matter how bad you've been, you can always improve. So that's fantastic. But if God says, you know, in Rosh Hashanah, I'm going to decree this person one way, so how's my behavior going to change it? So this is, we're going to use this Bechor Shor to sort of develop it a bit more. But um, I think that's, uh, we'll leave it there for this evening. Um, so I don't know if there's anyone who has any questions. If you do, by all means, please unmute yourself. But I will give you a couple of seconds. Three.